0: Hey,
1: I'm Kevin Kaufman. I'm joined with Fred Weaver. We are your host of the Kevin and Fred Next
0: Level Podcast. Where five days a week, you can get great real estate content. On Mondays, Kevin interviews a top rock star in the real estate space. Every Tuesday, we bring you industry headlines, where we look back on the last seven days of news in real estate. Wednesdays and Fridays is iMinute, where we talk about iBuyers in the real estate space. And Thursday, we bring you a weekly business tip.
1: So listen to us anywhere podcasts can be listened to. You can watch most of these podcasts video form on YouTube. And tune in
0: five days a week. And make sure you connect with us on Facebook as well as visit KevinandFred.com. And you can check out our referral guarantee, right, Kevin? KevinandFred.com forward slash guarantee. We'd love to receive your real estate referrals here in the Phoenix, Arizona area. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk with you soon. Action. Ow!
1: Hey, it's Kevin and Fred. Do you have a referral for us here in Phoenix? There are 30,000 agents here that you can send them to. Why us? Well, for one thing, we'll keep you updated and you'll never have to track down your commission.
0: We'll also make you look really good to your client. And best of all, it helps us keep all this content free. So go to kevinandfred.com slash referral to make the introduction. We'll take great care of them. Hey guys, Kevin here.
1: Today, my guest is awesome. His name is Cameron Harold. Cameron is a friend of mine. I met him through the mastermind group Genius Network um, Cameron, quite frankly, is just one of the smartest guys I think I've ever met uh, operationally. This guy understands business at a level that I've not really met many people who do. Um, he's advised some of the smartest, most high-profile CEOs in the world. If I named them, you would know them right away. Um, he grew a company called 1-800-GOT-JUNK. We talked about that a little bit, as well as some other fun stuff because Cameron's a really good guy. He had a, We had a wide-ranging conversation here And I think you're going to enjoy it. Even though Cameron is not in the real estate space, he understands business and he understands the mind and the hearts of entrepreneurs. And at the core of it, that's what most of us in real estate are, as entrepreneurs. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I know I did. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Next Level Podcast listeners, we're back. And today I'm joined uh, by uh, someone who's become a friend over the last couple of years, Cameron Harold, founder of COO Alliance and the second in command podcast. Uh, some people you may refer to him as the CEO whisperer. Uh, I've, I refer to him as typically the smartest guy in the room when I'm in the same room as him. So Cameron, how's it going today, buddy?
2: Good, Kevin. And I'm glad you said friend because I, I was like, I hope he says friend. That was, yeah, that's good. Yeah. you. Well,
1: you know, it's funny. I'll, I'll share this. Um, the, the first day I ever met you, I literally had uh, an emergency in my business. I remember. It was, something radically was, uh, what happened that day. And I remember it, it, it was, it was big and you didn't know me. I didn't know you. We had some mutual friends and you, you yanked me outside after I shared something in the meeting and said, Hey dude, let's go talk right now. Um, and so for me, anybody that would ever do that, first of all, is a friend right off the bat. Um, but also professionally, man, I saw right away, obviously you're compassionate, how much you care, you care about people, but your expertise and understanding business and the way things go down really came through even in just that short 20 25 minute conversation we had
2: that first thank day we you. met it, thank you and i remember i remember it really well we were at a, an event called the genius network together the um, it's weird my whole life around entrepreneurship has been seeing entrepreneurs like a fly trying to get out the window and and we're like banging our head on the window over and over and over again hoping that we'll get out that window and i somehow see the shortcuts and i'm like there's a door over here it's open just turn go out the door and i think it was because i was the dumb kid in school that i needed to find the cheat sheets and the shortcuts to get through high school and to get through university and then in business i was running and groomed to run very fast growth companies at a very young age and we were given the cheat sheets and we didn't have time to mess around like i i did uh when I was 20 years old, I had 12 full-time employees. I was in second year, and I, I owned my own company with 12 employees. So I was very young, learning the cheat sheets, and I think that's just the way I've approached business ever since. So I, when I saw you struggling with something, I'm like, oh, I can help, even though I didn't know you well enough. I just I felt bad that you were struggling. So yeah, let me
1: ask let me ask you a question because you mentioned that. I'll I mean I, we'll just get right into it here. Um, yeah. I mean you've you've run some you've run some really big businesses. Uh, you mentioned that at the age of 20. Having, having already more than, what, a dozen employees, did you just, was that because you thought you wanted to be a business person or was it because you felt kind of like you, you meant, you used the word dumb, I would never describe you that way, but you felt like, did you feel
2: like maybe a job, if you will, wasn't the path for you and that you were gonna have to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, both, I was groomed as an entrepreneur. So my father owned his own company, as did both my grandfathers and my dad groomed the three of us, my brother and sister and I all to be entrepreneurs. And today we all run our own companies and have for each of us have for 15 years. Um, I also at a very young age was doing all these little entrepreneurial things. In fact, I did a, a talk that's on the main TED website. If you go to TED.com and look up my name, I did a talk about raising kids as entrepreneurs and it's how we were groomed to be entrepreneurs. So I always thought of it as the only logical path that having a job just didn't make sense. And it was never about money. So you remember, I'm a little older, I'm 54. So when I was growing up, being an entrepreneur was not cool. Yeah. We, were, we were vilified, we were materialistic, we were greedy, we were capitalists. Even within our family unit, aunts and uncles thought we were the weird little kids that always wanted to run these little business things. Entrepreneurship has only been cool since 1998 at the first rise of the dot-com era. Um, so I got involved in this group called College Pro Painters, which was a, a university house painting business and I got groomed to be a franchisee at 20 years old and that's where I started running a franchise for three years and then when I graduated college I started recruiting training and coaching uh franchisees for them I coached 120 real companies by the time I was 28 years old um and then I mean real companies with with kind of 10 to 20 employees each um so you know that was really my grooming was just to be involved in that and see it and from then on um that's all I've ever really known. But sorry, I think I might've skipped over the reason that we liked entrepreneurship was because of the free time it gave us. It was never about the money. It was about controlling our time, having the availability to, to have free time. Like I've been in Europe seven weeks out of the last five months. Um, and I've got two kids. I take 10 weeks vacation a year with them. Um, I've never worked weekends ever like Saturdays and Sundays. I've never, ever worked on weekends. And I really Probably one night a month, maybe work at night, I shut it down at five o'clock six you know six o'clock every day
1: you you know uh, how do you uh, I hate to ask such a how to like basic question, but uh, how do you do that? The reason I ask that is because I know so many folks and especially in the real estate industry and in the mortgage world struggle with that like they feel like I, they have to work weekends or they have to work nights or they just have to be available <laughs> a certain amount of time for their customers. How do you actually do that and, and have success because I, I feel like that's something a lot of people struggle with.
2: Yeah. Well, one is we have to learn how to set boundaries and a lot of people don't set boundaries. So they just, the boundaries get stretched into forever. Um, and then they think that by being available all the time, they're helping people, but really they're showing up drained or they're showing up distracted. You know, I'm answering a call from the ski lift. What's the point? Why don't I just say I'm available between these hours and then really be there. Um, the other thing is I think we lie to ourselves. A lot of people say that I'm just going to catch up. Well, if you're working five nights a week to catch up, you're, you're not catching up. You're just working more hours. And the reality is even if you get that to-do list done, you're going to set more goals. You'll want to sell more houses or buy more properties or do more developments. Like it'll just bigger. will just become the next goal. So you won't catch up. I think more often than not by working nights and weekends, we're avoiding the pain of either a family or a relationship we don't like, or the fact that we've stopped con- connecting with our friends and, um, we, you know, we've lost sight of our hobbies. And now the only thing we get our good dopamine rush is working. So I think it just becomes a lie. So I push all of my coaching clients, I, I coach CEOs all over the world. And I, I push all of them to never work nights and weekends, I allow them one night per month to actually catch up. And one day on a weekend per quarter to actually catch up the rest of the time, it's like get a hobby.
1: Wow, that, that that's so profound. And yet I think, probably super important. And I think a lot of folks struggle with that. Is there something that you've seen that people, maybe some of your clients or just some, some folks that you've just known in the business world that was able to help them catch, you know, I guess, catch the vision for that? Or is that just something like you got to rip the bandaid off and just do that?
2: Some of it's you rip the bandaid off. Some of it is you need to have a bucket list, right? Like what are all the things you want to do before you die and then start cra- you know, crossing those things off your bucket list. And then I also say have a bucket list, right? All the things I'm just not going to do anymore. Um, And you start identifying the stuff that either wastes time or, you know, isn't fun or drains you. So one of the things I've stopped doing is I've stopped going for drinks with friends and clients as much. What I've started doing is going mountain biking with them or going hiking with them or going golfing with them or playing tennis with them. Um, You know, Chip Wilson, who started Lululemon, just doesn't do lunches with business people anymore but he'll go hike the grouse grind with you any day you want to go hike it. You meet him there at six o'clock. You can hike the grouse grind with Chip Wilson. So he's getting his exercise in. You want to ride shotgun, get your, get your ass up the hill. And so for him, I think what he's done is he's, he's turning his life to fit his life and he's making other people fit into it. And sure enough, they'll fit themselves into it.
1: That's, that's really good. Um, My
2: grandfather, my grandfather built a huge company with, with, I would guess to say, you know, a couple of thousand employees, and he would go golfing a couple of days a week and they didn't have cell phones. So he went golfing like he golfed and hung out with his friends for five hours. And sure enough, the business was just fine. Right. Why do we need to bring our damn cell phone on the golf course? And I've even gone so far that my, my, I have a golf watch that does my yardage for me because I could have an app on my phone that does it. But then I would go back into the email and I'd go back into the, you know, so I'm like, nope. my, my phone stays in the car. And while I'm on the golf course, I golf.
1: That's that's cool. I, I like that. That's you know I think a lot of us, uh, whether it's an addiction type thing, because like we need to have that phone or we need to be needed, or what whatever the case is, or we've just built something where we're trapped by sometimes you know by our own successes and everything we're like a bottleneck to things. I, I know that's one of the things you've been really good at in your in your world in your professional uh, career as far as like operationally seeing how things work. Was that what came natural to you or? Did you, when you got into the business world, is that just what you started figuring out needed to be done to make things grow?
2: Yeah, it doesn't come naturally to me because I have 17 of the 18 signs of attention deficit disorder um, and diagnosed. My ex-wife said if I was paying attention during all the testing, it would have been 18 for 18. But <laughs> I was distracted. So um, I've had to learn how to counter what is a superpower. Attention deficit disorder is a, as an entrepreneur is a power because I see everything. You know, I know what's happening with the market, the economy, my suppliers, the website, the data, I spot stuff. I see the details and then I don't get so bogged down in them that I end up delegating quickly. So I had to learn how to work around that. I had to learn how to stay balanced. One of my employees one day said, you know what, you're boring. I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, all you talk about is 1-800-GOT-JUNK, which was the company that I was building at the time. And she said, you know, you've got to remain interested to remain interesting. And she said, what are you doing for fun lately? And I had nothing. I had nothing. I hadn't read a book. I hadn't watched a movie or a show in months. I hadn't gone to a festival. I hadn't done hiking. I hadn't been running. I hadn't been going to the gym. I had nothing other than work. Wow. I didn't even like, and I didn't even like myself at that point. So I started drinking to kind of kill the pain of the fact that I wasn't doing anything fun and I wasn't with my friends and I'd sit and drink wine at night while I was working, getting more and more depressed and not even knowing it.
1: Well, How did you, how'd you respond to that? Because that had to be a bit of a, like a gut punch. Um,
2: it, it was a real slap in the face, yeah. It, um, it hit me because she was right and because I realized I'd go to these parties and I had nothing to talk about. And then one day I had a friend show up at the office just to go for lunch as a friend, not even a business person. You know, I think he was a lawyer. And um, I excitedly showed him for a tour of the office. And then I realized that like, he didn't want to go for a tour of the office. He wanted to go for lunch. But I was so excited about what we built this company into and how great our company, you know, we just ranked as the number two company in Canada to work for. And I wanted to show him around. And he's like, I don't fucking care. I just want to go for lunch. I'm like, oh, you're right. Like, I didn't really care about the law he was practicing. Why would he care about junk removal?
1: That's, uh, that's, that's pretty cool. Was there specific steps you took to kind of start to correct that?
2: Yeah. One was the bucket list um, cognizantly having a bucket list. Another one was I started using an app called commit to three and I have a daily accountability partner that I commit my personal goals to on a daily basis so that I will actually do a couple of things, um, to kind of move that forward. Right. So I have a daily accountability partner and I set three personal goals and then I do those. So I'll, I'll even read you what my, t- my ones today are. They'll be pretty silly. I'm sure. Uh, do yoga wrap Christmas presents, which I've now done. I put a few under the tree. So my son who's showing up from university today, will see some under the tree when he gets here and then do something fun with Aiden this evening. I got to find something to do that, you know, he wants to do cause he's coming home from university. Those are my three goals for the day. All the business stuff will get taken care of.
1: That is okay. So let, let's talk about that. I love that. So you've got to break broken down into like, Hey, if I got, if I take care of these big rocks each and every day, um, then everything else will take care of itself. I think some of us see success in businesses like this really big, complicated thing. There's all these different moving parts. You know, there's sales, there's operations, et cetera. Um, if, if, I, if I had to ask you, like, what makes a, what makes a business successful? Or what, what, how do you know when a business is successful? How, how would you define that?
2: So we had, um, we had a, something we called our secret formula. And the secret formula to success was F times F times E. And the first F was focus. And what I would ask you, or what I'd ask anyone listening is over the last month or over the last week, or, or even today, what percent focused were you? You know, on, on a percentage of zero to 100% focused, how focused were you on your market, your suppliers, your, your right vertical, you know, were you really showing up working or were you distracted with Instagram and Facebook and, you know, distracted with trying to sell into other markets, et cetera. Second thing is what percent faith do you have in yourself and your business and your market and your employees, et cetera? You know, how much are you doing to protect your own confidence and, and give yourself a percentage of zero to hundred percent there. And then third is effort. You know, are you really putting in the effort? And especially today when entrepreneurship is so hip and cool, people think it's easy. It's way fucking harder than having a job. And if you're not going to put in the effort, like really, really work hard, you're not gonna be successful. Now working hard doesn't mean 20 hour days, but it means really working it when you're working. So give yourself a percentage of zero to 100%. So let's say that you came up with 50% focus times 50% faith times 50% effort. That gives you a 12.5% chance to success, shitty odds. Even if you're at 80% focused times 80% faith times 80% effort, which sounds pretty good, right? that comes out to 51.2% chance of success. You may, that's a 50-50. You may as well go to Vegas and put all your money on red or, or yeah. black, right? Like, and spin the wheel. So even when you get to 90% focus times 90% faith times 90% effort, that's a 72.6% or 72.8% chance of success. You still got a 25% chance of failing. So to truly be successful, you have to be that monomaniac with a mission, right? You've got to be hyper-focused really doing everything to protect your confidence, protect your team's confidence, protect your, your your management's confidence, to really keep people excited and energized and to really focus that effort, you get to 98% focus times 98% faith times 98% effort. That's a 94% chance of success. And that's why companies succeed. People think it's like, oh, they got lucky bullshit. They worked hard or they stayed focused. Like they're, you know, that's where it really comes from. Yeah, you know, it's... Uh but most I'm, people, most people won't check themselves against that formula. Oh, I'm yeah. busy or my market's different. Or.
1: I would totally agree with that. I think I hear that a lot too, you know, in real estate, it's, it's different in my market, you know, uh, a lot of us, and, and it's just, I think it's the entrepreneurial mind, right? The people that don't want a job, they feel like they, they want to be in charge for themselves. Um, and yet, but they, they don't have that focus. They don't have that effort you know, at 98% or even at 98%, I mean, you still can lose. You can, you can actually still lose. And I don't think enough of us take it that seriously to, to make sure we can be as successful as possible. Yep. Um, that's, that's really, that's a really interesting formula. I like that. I hadn't heard it broken down like that. It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, let me ask you this because you, you see so many different things. Uh, speaking in all the different countries and consulting with the people. Um, what are some of the trends as you see going into here? We are, we're recording this December of 2019. Um, so, as we get into 2020 and beyond, what do you see that is there anything that you see is either concerning or really exciting about future in the business?
2: I'll give you the concerning. The concerning is the distraction of opportunities that we have to be distracted by the next thought leaders thing we have to do. You got to be on TikTok, you got to be on Instagram. You gotta be, why? Why do I have to do that? Or the next course that I have to take, or the next program? And I think there's nothing wrong with learning, but you should really apply your learning to the core areas that you're focusing along. So where are you taking your company? What's your plan to get there over the next three years, two years, one year? And then what can you learn along that path? And then strategically decide where to put your time and your money and your effort. You've only got three inputs: people, time, and money. And what's the highest ROI you're going to get off those three things? because you can decide that, oh, something sounds great, but what's your ROI gonna be on that? Is it gonna drive revenue? Is it gonna drive profit? Is it gonna drive margin? Is it gonna drive customer engagement or employee engagement? How much time and energy and effort and money do you have to put behind that? What ROI are you really gonna get? I always like following what I call the minimum viable everything. and Not minimum viable product, but minimum viable everything. Momentum creates momentum. Like Get some stuff out the door that's easy that will create momentum that doesn't take a lot of effort or time, but don't waste time on the stuff that you're not getting a lot of effort on. I I spoke to a friend the other day and um, she's got a business. I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want to upset her, but she's got a business in a space and she's been focusing a lot of time on her social media and her marketing and she's not getting the commercial clients coming in. And I'm like, you're not going to like, they're not on the platforms you're on. And even if they are, you've got a following of 400 people. Like, you're you're missing the like the hours that you're spending if you just pick up the fucking phone and call prospects excuse my language you'd be getting a higher ROI and then there's no problem that a check can't solve the more revenue you have coming in with good gross margin then you can afford to take your business to the next level but people are often working on the busy work without thinking critically about what ROI do I need to get to go to that next level
1: is that a product of just that not thinking critically, just going, Hey, maybe just thinking about what's loudest or what seems to be the easiest or yeah, least they're looking, resistance.
2: They're looking, the, they're looking for the quick hit. They're looking for the path of least resistance. They think that it's supposed to be easy and it's not always. And they don't sit down and say like, what's the result I'm really going to get? Like I think about it when I'm golfing and, and, I'll be like, oh, I can go right for that shot. There's no way I'm going to make that shot. Like, I'm not going to get over the pond. and I'm not going to get through those three trees. Like, I'm not Tiger Woods. I got to play safe and then put it on the green and take my bogey and I'm good to go. But people will always try to take that damn shot. And then sure enough, they hit the tree and then they got to get out of the trees and they put it in the pond. And they're like, like what the fuck are you doing? Like, who are you? So we don't stop and think with our leadership team or our management team or even ourselves about, What am I doing? How much time and money and people am I going to put into this? And what's the ROI I'm going to get out of that?
1: Gotcha. Okay. So is there a process which we should follow for maybe doing that?
2: Yeah, I call it, well, people talk about strategic planning. There's no such thing as strategic planning. There's strategic thinking and there's business planning. You need to have time in your calendar to do the strategic thinking, to think about, strategy to think about the plans, to think about where you're going and how you might get there, to what if at all. Then once you think through it, then you can make decisions and then you can plan out how to make that happen.
1: Is there a certain amount of time that you think we should spend thinking or that should be calendared?
2: I like doing it depending on how fast you're growing. So when we were growing 1-800-GOT-JUNK, we had six consecutive years of 100% revenue growth. So we were doing our strategy meetings every month for two and a half hours every month, every other, every third Thursday, we'd meet for two and a half hours to talk about stuff at least a year out on the calendar. I think if you're growing like 27 to 30% a year, kind of if you're going to double every three years, doing that once a quarter is enough, but at minimum once every one, you know, every month you should have time in your calendar for a couple hours to think about what's coming. You know, we're going to get hit with a big downturn right now and who's ready for it. I'm 30% in cash again. When, when you see that trucking is at all-time lows, major trucking companies are losing money right now. One of the biggest ones in the U.S. just shut down two days ago. Um, the volatility index, the VIX, is the second biggest indicator. Like There's a really weird time right now. I'm, 30, I'm excited about this next recession because I'm loading up on cash. Right now, Google, Apple, and Warren Buffett are sitting on the biggest percentage of cash positions in their history waiting for this next recession. That's strategy. Interesting. Whereas other people are fully leveraged. And and when a recession comes, they're going to be so fully leveraged. Then it's like, oh shit, then they got to cut back. I don't cut back. I mean, when, when the recession came in 2008, 2009, I started loading up on eight stocks. I bought Visa, Apple, Lululemon, Starbucks, Las Vegas, Sands, MGM, Royal Bank, and somebody else. I bought eight stocks. 12 months later, I was up 108%. And people were still panicking in the streets. I'm like, I just made a shit ton of money but they were all still selling into that market when, when everyone's selling all buy, When yeah. buying, I'll sell.
1: It's that old, uh, that old Buffett quote about when everyone gets greedy, that's, that's when it's time to, to pull back. And when everyone pulls back, that's when it's time to get greedy.
2: And look what's happening right now. Greed, greed, greed. Yeah. And, we've, and we've got a president that's saying to lower interest rates to continually fuel the market right now. That is a dangerous signal that we are really on the very edge when he's trying to fuel it right until that next election. You know, all he needs is to get elected and then the market can crash. But if it crashes before the election, he misses his big, his big kind of point, right?
1: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, well, all right. So, so we're coming up on time. I've got last three questions I've got for you, which are kind of fun. I, I ripped these off from Tim Ferriss. I heard him uh, do another podcast with his friend Peter Atiyah recently. And the whole thing was on three different questions. What's, what's something you're really excited about right now? Uh, what's something that you've changed your mind on in the, in whether that be in the last year or the last couple of years, could be the last decade, doesn't matter. And then what's something that's maybe a little weird or different about you could be a habit could be, uh, maybe just something that you like to do a hobby that most people don't know about.
2: So let's, sure. let's, let's start with what are you most excited about? Well, it's funny. Cause Tim Ferriss has been, I've, I'm really close friends with Tim. He's been at, he's sat on the couch that I'm talking to you from right now in my house. Um, years, 10 years ago. So the first one is what am I most excited about? Yeah. Um, Well, I'm super excited about my son coming home from university because he's coming home in a couple hours. I'm really excited about the COO alliance that I'm building right now. I'm building the only network of its kind in the world for the second in command. Um, And everyone else has been really focused on growing groups for entrepreneurs. And I'm starting really the only network for their COO. So I'm I'm really excited about building that.
1: So, well, not to go too far off, but I'd like to talk about that for a second. Tell me, why did you, why did you start that? And what's, like, what's the purpose
2: behind it? So I've, I've been a COO a number of times and I would, would show up at these events like YPO or EO or Vistage or Genius Network, Mastermind Talks, et cetera. And I didn't really fit in because I was so focused on operations and execution and culture and growth and the systems and figuring out all the processes and KPIs. And the CEOs were all flying at the 30,000 foot level. And I wanted my tribe and then I saw from a lot of the clients that I coach, most of my coaching clients are in the 50 to 500 employee range. They ha- didn't have a place for their COO to go and learn. And so it was just a natural, you talk about blue ocean. It was a huge blue ocean.
1: Got it. Oh, I love that. Okay. Um, all right. Well, so what's something that maybe you've changed your mind on that you used to believe one way and now, now you maybe believe another on it.
2: Um. I used to believe that we could be vulnerable with our peers as leaders with our tight peer group. Like I could be vulnerable in a CEO group with other CEOs about my fears or insecurities or weaknesses in business, but I could never do it with my team. And now I believe that if it's done properly, I should be more vulnerable and am now very vulnerable and open with my team. Um, to the point that they go, whoa, we can actually be scared too. I'm like, yeah, totally. And it, it's really built a lot of trust is just coming in with like, I don't know what I'm doing in this area. And they go, Oh yeah, well we know you don't know. <laughs> right. And, and then, or I'm like, I hate this stuff. And they're like, okay, let me run with it. So that's been really powerful over the last number of years is starting to feel that. That's awesome. And leaning, really leaning into that. And
1: so, you know, um, a gentleman who, who I've gotten to know a little bit the last couple of years, he's the CEO of a major real estate company. And that was one of the things he, I asked him different questions, but he, you know, he, that's been one of the knocks on him in his career is he's always been really ultra honest with his, with his staff and the people that report to him about when he didn't know the answer or when he, you know, uh, and he talked about the, the pluses and the minuses to that uh, you know, still to this day though, he's still very open because he, he knows, he believes there's much more power in that than, than the opposite and letting people think you, you think you always have the answer because none of, none of us ever really do, right?
2: No, we're not supposed to.
1: Yeah. And if we, and if we do, then, then we're buying our own, buying our own BS and that's not good. Um, what's something that's maybe weird about you, a habit or a hobby or something you have that maybe most people don't know about who don't know you personally, or uh, just something that would be interesting that makes us see, understand a little bit more about how Cameron ticks.
2: I'm, I'm doing ayahuasca next week how'd you get into that? What, what, where'd that come from? I've never, I've never done it yet. So I, uh, you know, over the years have experienced experimented with psychedelics and, and done journeys with, you know, to go inward on myself. And, um, so now I'm doing two, two days in a row doing, um, sitting ceremony with ayahuasca with a shaman and I'm really, really going inward for my own personal growth. And I was talking with Susie Batisse at, um, the, she actually spoke at the annual Genius Network event this year. She's the founder of Poopery, and I was talking to her about it. She's done it like 67 times, and then Joe Polish. Joe was my daily accountability partner for two years in business. Talked to him about it. He's, and anyway, I've talked to so many people that have done it and had really, really profound experiences on areas that they should grow or could grow, and I think I'm just at that stage in life where you know I want to be more introspective and lean into that, so I'm I'm doing that next Friday and Saturday, so I'm excited about that.
1: I love that, man. I, you know, I love uh, on a similar note, I love that there's so much more research happening and kind of this is coming out from, from behind closed doors. Uh, people talking about the psychedelics, so, you know, from MDMA to ayahuasca to all these other things uh, that are now really starting to get researched and realize there's some serious therapeutic uses for, I'm excited for what that means for the, for the future, because for sure. um, the way trauma gets treated today and we see it so much, in, with with um, entrepreneurs, certainly we see it in real estate. The way people deal with trauma today, it's just it's not good. It leads to this never
2: ending cycle. I'm um, I go to the main uh, TED conference every year, and I've been going to, since 2010. And last year at TED, there were about I'd say about eighty, 80 attendees. There's 1,800 people at TED at the main TED and this is like Bill Gates and you know Larry Ellison and Sergey Brin are all sitting in the audience Is one of the 1800 people. But of the 1800 people, there were about 80 of us that attended this, an event, one of the nights on psychedelics. And, um, we weren't on psychedelics. We went to an event about psychedelics and for PTSD and for trauma and for just personal growth. And when you looked around the room, it looked like there were no cameras allowed because of who, who is in the room. And, uh, damn it was a crazy group of very 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 well-known people uh in technology entertainment and design that were sitting in that room that all explore and are are interested in and um it was pretty fascinating yeah it was not it wasn't a party scene it was like everyone was sitting on the floor listening to some of the biggest thought leaders in the world talking about um about dmt and ayahuasca and you know psilocybin and mdma and and all the different uses for it, it was pretty cool
1: yeah it's pretty cool when you start to see some of the research that they've already uh dug up that this that this stuff can help on um, you realize this this isn't a party thing it's actually something that can that can really help people heal and move forward and and grow uh in their yeah. lives and in their businesses
2: yeah, it's cool, and it's interesting that it's it's becoming so much more mainstream now like this wasn't this wasn't talked about years ago I mean like you know Tim Ferriss has been very public about his Um, use of stuff in these kinds of of experimentations as has Lewis Howes, as has, you know, um, Tucker Max. And I mean, I'm personal friends with all of them. And I've had big discussions with all of them about this kind of stuff. And it's pretty fascinating. I think the shift has been from, you know, using a psychedelic to go party to now using it to go inward. And that's been the big shift is probably where the acceptance has come. We're not talking about going to a rave. We're talking about, you know, understanding our own, our self and curing whatever has made us where we are,
1: for sure. That's awesome, Cameron. I, I appreciate your time today. It means a lot to me. Uh, appreciate your friendship, and I uh, just want to say thank you so much for taking the time out today to be on our podcast.
2: Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate it, man. By the uh, way, are you a golfer? Uh,
1: you know, I'm not. I, not. I last time I golfed, I I retired because I didn't lose a ball all day. Now, granted, it was only a nine, you know, par three nine, nine hole course, but that is that was one sport I just never quite got the hang of.
2: Well, maybe we'll go out and see some music or something next time I'm down in Phoenix.
1: That we can do for sure. That'd be a lot of fun. Or either that or hit the
2: hit the slopes. All right, that'd be great. Well, not in Phoenix, but if you come up, well,
1: definitely not here. But
2: maybe <laughs> I'll come up your way. That'd be great. Yeah, I, I spend half my time in Phoenix and half my time in Vancouver.
1: Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see a music show here and uh, maybe maybe snowboard or, or ski or something there up there.
2: That'd be great. Thanks, buddy. Have a good All one. Right.
1: Hey, man, take it easy, Cameron. I appreciate it. You're
2: welcome. Bye, bye. Bye, bye.